What's going on, readers? This is Reading While Black, and I am your host, Jason. What's going on, guys? I'm super excited to have you guys back on. How you guys feeling? I am doing great. I am now working in a new job, gainfully employed. Uh, super excited. Currently onboarding right now in our process, but learning a lot of new information and just really, really glad to be organizing again, especially working with young people, particularly in the state of Alabama. I'm so excited uh, to see just what happens next in this new field. Uh, but I've been doing really well during quarantine. It's been an adjustment. Uh, I've been uh, writing, reading, and recording. Um, but, you know, my self-care routine has been really keeping me at high spirits and you know, getting the call that I'd be working on uh, this new job also gave me a pep in my step and uh, just getting adjusted. Um, I am quarantining alone, uh, but my friends are very, very much um, a part of my life. So calling them every day and talking to family every day, you know, I have this office now set up in my, in my bedroom that I'm looking at right now. And uh, it's great to, you know, be able to work from home, you know, if you can, but um, I'm just learning that, you know, once I'm off, I'm off. Uh, sometimes I wish my desk wasn't in my office. <laughs> so like when I can, you know, close it down, like I don't have to look at it, but it is what it is right now. It's fine. Uh, I'm just really blessed and to, you know, just be in a position where I'm employed. I know a lot of people out there um, are with out jobs, waiting on stimulus checks, or, you know, whatever is supposed to happen next with this, you know, piss poor government, but uh, I hope that you guys are in, like I said, good spirits, and I hope that you guys are doing well, um, I'm also finally proud to say that I am in search of a therapist, I'm using therapy for black girls as well as therapy for black men. Um, to uh, for my search for a new therapist uh, looking for something that is uh, more consistent. I haven't been able to go to therapy in a while and I'm just really excited about getting back into the groove of things. I've written down so much that I'm really ready to, you know, just kind of lay it on the table <laughs> um, and just let them have at it. Uh, keeping your mental health intact is super important in times like these. And, you know, a self-care routine is great, but if you can get access to a therapist, please go. I always suggest that. Um, I swear by it, and I'm glad that, you know, I can get back into the groove of things and making sure that, you know, my mentals are really good. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the book, of course, and that is I Don't Want to Die Poor by Michael Arsenault. So Michael, as I've said, is super, super funny, extremely talented, and just an incredible writer. I was actually reading I Can't Date Jesus and I Don't Want to Die Poor at the same time, so I was really able to soak up a lot about who he was and the things that he dealt with uh, and contrast the two. Uh, one is more so about a coming-to-age story of a young man realizing you know, who he is, and but in I Don't Want to Die Poor, this is more about the things that he's dealing with since you know, his college days, and that is student loan debt, something that a lot of us as millennials are dealing with, uh, Gen Zers are also dealing with, um, even Gen Xers are dealing with for those who went back to college. Um, it is 
a process and it is complicated and it is a shackle um you know that cripples you in so many different ways and we cover that a lot in the conversation uh the one thing that i can say from this book that i learned is debt takes such a different hold uh than just a financial burden it is a burden on family it is a burden on your dating life it is a burden on your mental health um and just looking at that and processing that and just realizing how unconstitutional it is um it's good that we are now you know having this very very open conversation about student loan debt and the ramifications that it's had on a generation of people who were told that education was the key to success um and now you know we can't even reach for the key because we're being held down by something uh we talk about that a lot um in this conversation and i'm really glad that michael was so open and honest not only in his book uh but during the interview, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So after we pay some bills real quick, you'll, the first voice that you will hear will be myself and Michael. And I cannot wait for you guys once again to just uh, hear this. If you haven't had a chance to read the book, you still have a chance to pick up I Don't Want to Die Poor. I will also tell you if you want to support a great cause, if you want to support a great book store in particular that I love, you need to stop at 1977 Books. It is located in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, it is a liberation bookstore that specializes and curates uh, their books specifically for authors of color. Um, Steph and Allison are doing such an amazing job right now uh, with the bookstore. They have moved into a completely digital space, uh, so you can actually check out uh, 1977 books at 1977books.com and you can really check out so many different books if you have kids and you're looking for uh, children's books particularly tailored uh, to children of color they got a really really great collection of stuff uh, they also carry all of the books for reading while black so if you're looking for a place that you can also support and that you can buy books from 1977 books is the bookstore for you but once again um, after this brief break, we're going uh, to get right into the interview. And this is Reading Blah Blah. All right, and welcome to Reading While Black Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and we have a very special guest today for the month of April. It is our book of the month. It's our author of the month. I'm really glad to have him on all the way from Houston, Texas. If anything comes out of Texas, it's got to be great. He is the author of I Can't Date Jesus and our book of the month, I Don't Want to Die Poor. Mr. Ike, Michael Arsenault, how are you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm from Houston, but I'm actually in Harlem right now, hoping the sirens don't drown me out. But um, thank, thank you again for having me. I don't hear any sirens. Sounds like I'm actually. You know, it's no. It's actually nice right now. I'm surprised. Oh, it's uh, at any moment. You know, it'd it be loud over here. God bless us. Michael, you know, Mike De Blasio and uh, and Black Dante be holding it down up there. In New York, <laughs> um, <laughs> glad Black Dante's keeping y'all safe. Uh, but man, first of all, what an incredible, incredible book. The only thing that I'm mad about is thank you. I really appreciate it. No, it's not a problem. I feel like now because I'm reading, I, I'm reading I Can't Date Jesus at the same time, and I was as I was reading this, 
Um, and I'm not quite finished with it, but it feels like a precursor to it. It's almost like a bridge, kind of like last month when we were reading um, One Person No Vote by Carol, by Professor Carol Anderson. It's almost like you got to weed, you got to read White Rage because mm-hmm. uh, it's like a, it's like the bridge to get you to One Person No Vote. And I feel the same way, but take me through it. You know, it's a lot. <laughs> um, it's much darker than your first book. Uh, something yeah, that I, know, that I noticed off rip student loan debt. The way that you've mastered talking about student loan debt in a way that is funny, honestly, is relieving because I never knew that the the worst hood in life would actually be adulthood. Um, <laughs> that's a way of putting it. Um, yeah, um, I appreciate it. Um, I, I think if you um, just but if, if if you didn't necessarily read I Can't Date Jesus, I think they work together if you read both, but you don't necessarily need the first one for the second because I think um, I Can't Date Jesus is more or less about me trying to unlearn what I thought it meant to be black and gay. In my case, just re- like a really religious context and being exposed to AIDS really early. Um, it's just, that kind of book is more or less kind of, you know, the beauty in finding out who you are on your own terms, right? There's, there's a beauty in that kind of freedom and shit. But I think I don't want to die poor is a larger, you know, narrative like, yeah, it's nice when you can figure out who you are and know who you are and like, you know, I'm free. But real freedom, mm-hmm. real choice, like it comes with a cost. And this is more or less about kind of, it, it's in the context of like me having like private student loan debt, but ultimately it's about social mobility. It's about ec- uh, economic inequality. It's about, mm-hmm. Uh, financial debt, but also, you know, Mbasi Ikfi, um, ever um, brilliant, ha- helped me put into these terms, like, you know, the emotional debt that we carry, which, you know, I mm. explained throughout the book, because it's a lot of um, kind of just how money can impact you in ways that you might not even, you know, realize. For me, you know, um, a lot of the nerves about student loan debt is like, oh, this shit awful. And then when you, they talk about, like, debt solution, it's like, you know, some dumb motherfucker who, not a dumb motherfucker, but somebody who, like, I don't know, um, ate, 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 like, I don't know, dog food or cat food or like some kind of canned food, like canned tuna for like six months and somehow paid off $80,000 in loans. And like, that's supposed to be like the benchmark and anything below that is fake. Or they talk about millennials blowing up the economy because we don't go to Chili's like we used to. Like it's all types of dumb shit. So I really wanted to have like a really substantive conversation about student loan debt, um, a reality that frankly, a lot of black college graduates in particular are having. Because private loan debt is not really that big of part of the student loan debt altogether. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a hundred billion. It's like, well, I mean, and it's a hundred billion dollars, but it's still a shit ton of money. But yes. the student loan debt altogether is a trillion dollars. However, black college graduates in particular are disproportionately impacted by private loan debt because black people right. don't have as much money, or black people in general just don't have as much money. The right. government don't give you as much access to funds, or they cut you off. So what do you do? These private people. It's basically the subprime mortgage of a college degree. So that's essentially what I write about and how that impacted, you know, just not my, you know, struggling to pay bills, but how I see myself, how it impacts, you know, how I treat myself physically, how I date or how I don't date. Just kind of all the way money fucks your head up. Yeah. I, as a person who worked at an HBCU recently, um, I can't tell you, I worked in student services. So I used to see students that were and I work particularly in career services. And I have students that come into my office that are, you know, about to graduate, you know, and I would um, look at their resumes, critique them and update them. And I'm like, so, you know, I just ask them like straight up when they come in the office because they look distraught as they're getting ready to, you know, graduate. I'm like, is everything all right? And one dude was like, nah, nigga, I got student loan debt. 
And he was going to one of the cheapest HBCUs. It was a public HBCU in the state. And it, the one thing that really stuck out to me in my tenure um, was just the the unsurmountable weight that that weighs on a 21-year-old. Right. <laughs> I, re- I remember who I was as a 21-year-old. And at that time, my life was a little different. I went to the military first. I sold my soul to Uncle Sam because I was like, fuck student. I want, I, you know, I was thankful. I sacrificed my life for a 20,000 loan repayment. I got PTSD, but shit, my student loans paid. I'm okay. But I, I hate that I was willing to make that. I had to be willing to make that sacrifice in the first place. And that I have so many friends that are going to have to pay that shit off for the rest of their life. Um, And regardless of what like financial backing they came from, like friends from two parent households that whose parents jobs, are still like are struggling under like a, a weight of this debt. And even in the good job that they have, half they check <laughs> going. To- yeah, no, I mean, as I mentioned in the book and like I've been doing press, I think, um, I mean, one thing I really talk about is, you know, I don't, I come from black working class folks. Right. And I, I, I acknowledge that I exist in media, but what I try to point out, People like in media and entertainment, more often than not, the reason why they can afford to, to sac because media and entertainment don't pay shit right. until you really start making money. Mm-hmm. So by default, it's an elitist privileged system. That's why you don't really see that many black people in it, either one. And when you do, more often than not, they come from middle class backgrounds. And even being black middle class is a privilege that most people don't have. And by I mean middle class is kind of like a joke of an idea, but you get what I mean, like right. above check to check or at least like even two checks ahead. I wasn't like that. Was, and so that was added to my struggle. But that being said, like what re- people are realizing right now is, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I know, I do know I'm under 40. And since Ronald Reagan, there's been a current like decline. People are not being paid enough. We work more, everything is more expensive, but we're not being paid enough. What most people don't really understand is why they're trying to like stunt or make themselves feel better or don't want to be quote unquote broke is that no matter how much you're making, more often than not, if you exist in this country, you're probably not getting paid as much as you should, unless you're the person ripping somebody off, which is why most people are like two checks away from like, unfortunately, being in the food truck line like a lot of folks right now, because this country by default is cheating all of us. But people are so confused and like trying to live up to the facade of like, oh, I worked my way up. That's why I got it. Now you don't. Instead of it's kind of just looking like, oh, shit, all of this is fucked up. I mean, I don't, you know, and people, you know, I don't want to go to politics. Well, I will go to politics. The book talks about politics. Like, you know, I get that people didn't necessarily like the tone of Bernie Sanders or people felt a summary about Elizabeth Warren, but they each spoke to the fact that the system by design is cheating you, which is why I like this student loan thing. More people right now are going to be so worried about student loans. Like the fact that they got to worry about student loans and not dying. Yeah. Like if I die right now, I have a private loan. My mom is still going to be on the hook for that debt because the private loan, because of a bill that signed in like 2003 from George W. Bush that Joe Biden worked on. Um, he's trying to atone for that shit now, but you know, yeah. that was a while ago. Like if I die right now, she's still on the hook for that loan as a co-signer mm. because that's how this country is set up. So there are people right now, a lot of black people, we disproportionately being killed. We don't get access to health care. They're literally setting us up to die. And then if, you know, some of us die, unfortunately, we have these private loans. Not only will our parents have to suffer the trauma of burying us 
alone or like watching through Zoom in some cases, they still gonna have to pay for that loan. Right. If they co-sign. Mm-hmm. That's a really fucked up thing. And then like you you know how you mentioned the military, a lot of my cousins, you know, went to the military and or a lot of my friends went to the military. And you know, a lot of my friends they had PTSD or like something, you know, some of them it worked out really well. A lot of them it did not so great. Yeah. And they came back once again to a place that don't have any love for them. Yeah. They didn't make space for them. And we, none of us should have to make these choices. And that's the point of like the book. I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, I already know how people are going to say, like, you shouldn't have took out the loan. You should have known all of this at 17. Meanwhile, motherfuckers are 40 and don't know shit. But if you read the book, <laughs> you can see, I technically took a very cautiously optimistic, like a very a, a risk, but it was very like cautious, well planned risk. Mm-hmm. But then you can't control that. You know, I can't control that media as I knew it didn't exist by the time I graduated. I can't control the fact that George W. Bush was a fuck up and stole an election and then ran the economy to the ground. Just like right now, a lot of people can't control the fact that Donald Trump is a dumb motherfucker and he blew up the economy because he didn't want to handle a pandemic. And now a lot of bunch of other people are about to kind of deal with an even harsher reality than I wrote about in the book. Mm. Yeah, I was I was listening. I can't remember. I think it was one of my favorite podcasts, Getting Grown. And one of the hosts on there said um, that this book is so perfect for right now. And you responded that this book was good 10 years ago, uh, would have been perfect 10 years ago. And you're right. Like, I'm a millennial just like you. We're only a couple of years apart in age. And I made in communications when I came out of, when I finally went to school as a reservist. And the first thing I kept hearing, and I saw it in your writing in the first chapter, um, the first or second chapter about, you know, not majoring something that's going to get you a real job. And, you know, <laughs> worry, like, you're thinking that, you know, the world of media is going to be something and then it becomes something completely that is not. And then for people who are, you know, not in those traditional majors, your business, your engineering, your medical, um, your science, you know, your hard science degrees or whatever, what have you, you're kind of like stuck in this rut. And people are looking at you like, oh, well, you shouldn't have majored in that shit. You're like, bro, this system was (laughs) designed to fuck us all. Like we're all in the same boat and kind of dealing with the same shit. The simple fact I had to risk my life <laughs> just to get some student loan repayment is not really a great thing to be proud of. Um, this whole entire thing has just kind of become trash at this point. And I'm glad you brought up politics. It's great. Like, uh, one of we, I was having a conversation with Bernie, um, with a friend. Well, not with Bernie. I, I'm not that exclusive. But um, <laughs> talking to my friend about Bernie, because... I was a Bernie girl in 2016, you know, I wasn't with the whole, I'm not going to vote if he don't get the, if he doesn't get it. Cause I live in Alabama. I know what's about to happen. Uh, I live in a very pragmatic state when it comes to voting as a black, you know, progressive person. So like looking at that lens, like the one thing I always said he failed to do when he was talking about labor, cause he comes from labor movements is he never knew how to intertwine that with race. And that's what really kind of, dropped in his you know in his candidacy and it's what elizabeth warren did so well but you know in order to be president of the united states you gotta be a white man well you have to be a very very good looking black man uh, in a tan suit um uh well i well i mean that would deviate i would just say um not know to a lot of criticism i think there was an opportunity to take out um the old white man and 
well, Bernie is the old white man, but Joe Biden is the old white man. I just think a lot of people swung and missed. Or yeah. they swung, hit him, and didn't knock him completely out. But I definitely think more people could have taken him out if they just each adopted better strategy. Literally, I could see how Kamala could have beat him. I see how Bernie could have beat him. Bernie was beating him. Yeah. Liz, I really, really like, but she just didn't get it around. But that said, I in terms of just the general, like the presidential part, I give Bernie and Liz a lot of credit for at least bringing about debt cancellation into the national conversation because like literally had to change parts of the book to include that because I thought it was really important yeah, that they were talking about it. I noticed and that. now even even to Joe Biden's credit, uh well, credit is being generous, but I mean he has he's not he's not Bernie Sanders like cancel all debt, but he has warmed up to some of Elizabeth Warren's proposals and embraced them and has specifically made space for black college graduates who again are disproportionately impacted by student loan debt. So I mean we'll see what happens after the fact. But you know, the fact that he has even moved that direction shows that their Bernie and Liz's efforts were not for not. Yeah. And that more people will at least be talking about it seriously. Right. Absolutely. Uh it's been one of the number one conversations over at AACP and the youth and college division over there with Tiffany Lofton, who's also a big fan. Told me to tell you that. Uh, but there's so many people that told me to tell you that. Uh, actually, I won't name them, but y'all all got included in that, so that's your hate. But outside of that, um, outside of the political uh, conversation, uh, the biggest thing that you talked about was just the funniest part was the jobs that you considered <laughs> in the industry yeah. that you considered like going into. Uh, K Street Thought is one of my favorite uh, chapters. Um, Appreciate them. As a person who works um, in uh, repro justice and uh, reproductive justice, uh, we talk a lot about you know affirming and protecting sex workers. So it was great to read a chapter about understanding why people do the work and making sure that they have protections. And even though I, I can't do it and I miss my window, like shout out to the ones that do. I thought that was really beautiful, but <laughs> when you put a Republican that may have been. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> um, some of that, some of your, like some of the best stuff that I've, that I've heard, um, I think you articulated what a, uh, what a black conservative uh, really is maybe in the best way that I've seen. <laughs> Uh, it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> but just expand on like your job opportunity, uh, the jobs that you know, career you consider and stuff like that. Oh, you know, I just wanted to. I mean, it's a dark ass, you know, it's a dark subject matter. But I wanted to add levity. So, I mean, I didn't realize people make money off of selling feet pictures. So, could have been a big pro <laughs> Um, uh, and I, I actually literally was approached, as I mentioned in the book, to be a teacher. And that was one of the things, is, like, there are a lot of other jobs. I mean, writers do not, I mean, you don't go into writing to become, that, you know, remarkably rich, but you can, you know, make money with plan. But although much, I like, you know, a lot of jobs that people thought, you know, were safer for me to do, like being a teacher, you know, I'm like, well, damn, that, I'd be making less money. I'd still be in debt. Um, you basically just said I shouldn't have taken out the loan. But, I mean, that wouldn't fundamentally change the stuff. But, no, I just wanted to have fun with it because I just thought, yeah, I didn't want to have a whole bunch of, you know, making you want to slit your wrist while you uh, read the book. Um, not to make light of, you know, that. But, yeah, I wanted, I, I wanted to balance the tone. 
Right. Because I write about really dark material. I didn't want to, and it's me, so I wanted to add levity. But that was fun. But yeah, people really do make money off of feet pictures. I had no idea that's what that was. And Listen. people apparently pay top dollar for a nice toe. Um, um, the Twitter so time- slip them corns off your toes. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, the Twitter timeline, I actually saw a tweet like the other day and some dude had tweeted like, I love shit like this. And it was just some pictures of like random feet and this girl, you know, retweeted. She was like, thanks, I'm going to use these and get started on my OnlyFans. And I was like, look, scammers never die. Um, and Providing a service. I mean, I don't get the toe thing, but I, it's not for me. It ain't, yeah, it, 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 every, look, I do not ever want to kink shame anybody. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, but people literally make money off of it, so good for them. Yeah. Uh, so, just getting back um, to like some of my highlights of the book, um, the um, like you talk a lot, like because you uh, critiqued a lot of uh, reality television, you know, in your time, um, written a lot about the best love in hip hop, uh, I would say, universe, the Atlanta universe. Because um, at, yes. at this point, it's really a universe. Um, and I would like to say that Mona Scott Young should honestly get credit for introducing uh, universes because Marvel kind of stole the copyright. I mean, let's <laughs> kind of keep, <laughs> keep it real. I mean, I never thought that one show based in New York could branch out to all of this. I never watched Love and Hip Hop until like 2000, I think it was 2012 when I came back from it. When I came back from Afghanistan, and I said, "This is the greatest thing I have ever seen." Yeah, although life. you know they need a revamp. God bless them. Well, no, no New York is New York is good again. They brought back uh, Christine Jim Jones. Yeah, um, that's, no, Atlanta, but Atlanta, no, uh, but going too far off the rails. Um, but I do write about my reality TV experience. I mean, um, I just yeah, somebody actually left a a, a comment about the the chapter and said your. You're a Mona, not a Kimbella. And I think that ultimately was maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize that was a lesson of that chapter, but sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I never really wanted to ever do reality TV, but I just was one of them things like, why not? And then honestly, at the point, like, I, you, I thought maybe, you know, the money could have helped. But then you realize, as I mentioned, like, even as a gay black person, you think like those certain things you, you're, I mean, I, I thought about it, but. You don't basically you just don't make as much money as you think. Reality TV stars, including on Love and Hip Hop, a lot of them don't make that much money. They're basically fighting for fifteen hundred dollars before taxes, That's um, right. and it ain't worth it. So uh, yeah, I write about that and just kind of and and it's funny the network that that was related to is nothing like it is now. Mm. Um, th- they've gone through quite a few format um, changes, so they probably won't be here by the end of this sentence. But wow. yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, but the one thing that you brought up that was really interesting was like the portrayal of black gay men on television and what they look like in reality shows. And I really love that perspective because like as a as a person who is not who is not gay but is black, I do understand that representation plays a really big factor for African Americans who are watching TV. And the one thing that you did bring up earlier is that um, you try to be um, as a writer, a voice for working class people, um, yeah, working class black folk versus middle class black folk. As you said, there's a huge difference. Um, and for black gay, for black gay men in particular, black queer people, like seeing yourself on TV correctly, I understand why that matters a lot. Um, but I'm privileged in that space because I grew up with a brother who worked in breaking that barrier. 
Um, yeah. So I saw it earlier on, but I would rather hear from a perspective of a person who actually lives the experience because it's a little bit easier uh, probably to, for you to explain than myself. Well, I mean, well, I guess in the first book, I um, mentioned how some of the earliest portrayals of like, Black gay people or gay people in general were kind of just horrific and tropey. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some people who are now on TV who kind of mirror some of that behavior. But I, you know, I, I, I um, to me, there's no right or wrong way to be. I just want in general to have like an array of images. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the people that I talk about, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a digital, it's a YouTube show, um, Chasing, it's a franchise, it's Chasing Atlanta, it's Chasing Dallas. Right. It's essentially like, Love and Hip Hop, Real Housewives, those we TV shows. I have no issue with them existing. I don't care about being like the perfect queer person at this point. It's, it's right. a couple gay niggas on TV. I mean, we still need more, but you don't need to look to them to be your symbol. But right. my point was, you see gay black men be copied all the time and in so many ways that people don't even realize it. Um, like the fact that like NFL players say shade now just blows my mind. But that, you, that blew my mind last night. Which is fine. I, I mean, that that's perfectly. Yeah, but that's perfectly fine because you know, like language is language. People are people. The problem is the people who are inventing that are still not being compensated properly or being pushed to the side. There's no reason why you can see some NFL players say shade during the draft, and then this show, which is no different than any of the other messes on TV, is just on YouTube. It should at least be on Zeus. Put it on BET. Put it on Wee TV. Put it on like. Let them, they want to act a fool like everybody else. They're just as ridiculous as all these other motherfuckers. Put them on TV and pay them. Pay them the $1,500 on TV. That's, that's kind of more what it is. It's not even just like a, there are other people who want to write about, I mean, I have written about representation and I get it. But in this context, I literally just thought everybody else gets to be a mess on television and get paid. Like, people copy, yeah, especially because y'all copy gay black men so much. These are literally the Southern gay people that, inspire a lot of what you see see later five five years from now. So why not just put it on TV now because y'all need the content anyway. In fact, since I mean a lot of people can't shoot shit this year, I hopefully somebody goes on YouTube and like buys like fucks up the rights and put it on TV because I think they deserve it because you know they're just as a mess as everybody else. I ain't doing this shit, but for the folks that do it, give them a check. No for real. Um I think the one thing I've learned reading your book is like get your money um, like, because you deserve it, because this this shit is trash. Um, I actually, my favorite chapter out of all of them is actually what I'm going to entitle the episode, which is uh, I've never actually named an episode anything other than the book with the interview, so this will be a first. Uh, I appreciate. Uh, thank you. Call, call against Alexa. Uh, listen. Yes, thank you. Uh, what a what a word. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't know. Um, so even though I didn't grow up, um, in the Catholic church, I grew up in a, I grew up in a mega church that became, well, a church that became a mega church eventually. I went from, oh, that's fun. yeah, went from three services, you know, in a tight packed church where, you know, you have pews and folding chairs in the aisles because there's so many people to 900 to a thousand people in an 11 o'clock service, almost a thousand people in a seven o'clock service. And I grew with, I grew up with this church for about almost a decade. And like a lot of the stuff that you mentioned about, you know, being a rapper that wants to, you know, make their mother proud to put out a gospel album. I thought about a lot of the, a lot of the young men who attempted their, who made their attempts at being Christian rappers uh, to make 
our pastor proud and um my heart smiles. Oh God <laughs> bless her. <laughs> I just want to say look, being uh, a Christian rapper is, you know, an interesting thing, but like you made a really good point and it goes back to what you were saying, you know, about television and you know, not just representation, but y'all pay all these you, you pay these rappers to be misogynistic and do all this other bullshit, talk about how much money they got, how many hoes they fucking and all this other stuff. I can do the same thing as a black gay man. Like, that's not- yeah, I mean, this makes space. It's not like we haven't had a gay rapper. I, I, I literally just want to be treated like I just want us to be treated like anybody else. I think that's fundamentally what it is. Um, because I mean, as much as people say, like, I think it's always funny when I hear dumb people talk about the feminization of the black man, blah 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 blah, like or like quote unquote, it's cool to be gay. I'm like, if it's so cool to be gay, actually pay motherfuckers like it's cool because it ain't that cool. Um, if I can't see people, but yeah, because everything isn't about money, it really isn't. But people, it, a, fair, a fair compensation is a, a further extension of like actually being judged as an equal person, and that is why I speak to it like that. I think the one thing that stuck out that I highlighted was I just want to be a nigga, a nigga without substance who just smiles all day. You know the way that post prison release, post fitness journey, pushy man just smiles. I want to be a yeah, because you know they're gonna make that a is- gay rapper like have to like you know work with Michelle Obama. I mean, which is will be cool, but like also like just let a nigga be a nigga. Um, I, know, I, I think that's the, the world. That I'm joking, but serious. <laughs> no, no, I mean you can. I mean <laughs> it could be a joke, but it's it's a bit. It's a mix of both. Like I just yeah. think the, the, the space to be, yeah. Yeah, like the space to exist. Also, your dissertation on Donald Glover may be the most spot-on thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Thank you. I, I tried to really tell the line and be respectful, but like, you know, nigga, you, you know, you remember. Uh, um, feels feel, feel like someone's still smiling, but you know, nigga, what's up? <laughs> the movie was really good. Like, okay, short story. I tried to get my, so I, when the movie came out with Rihanna, right, I had all my friends at Amazon Prime in my, uh, in my group chat. And I'm the friend in my group chat. I'll put music in the group chat for niggas to check out. But niggas don't ever listen to it. Or I'll tell them to watch something and they don't ever want to watch it. And I'll be the only person standing it in the group chat. And so niggas just just get jokes off. And I'm like, but I told y'all to watch it. So when the Guava Island shit came out, I was with it. I wanted Rihanna to just say, you know, just to sing one note. What a, you know, because she's been on hiatus for music for... Uh, about 84 years. She but, know y'all she know y'all wanted her to sing. That's why she didn't. I mean she's all she's an epic troll. Uh I, I give her kudos. But I thought the movie was cute and the music was good. Like the the song before he got killed slapped. I was like, put this put this on a you know, my friend actually found it illegally downloaded it for me. Shout out to him. Uh because it stays on the playlist. But no, it's very spot on. I don't think it disrespects him in any form or fashion. Like he's still yeah, black, it he, wasn't the intent wasn't to yeah yeah he's like, still he's still a black straight man, so he can he has this luxury of being able to be weird, just like Young Thug has this ability to be you know be weird in this space and no one ever say anything. But if he actually said I was gay, it'd be a totally different response. That's absolutely true. Thank you. It would. Um, I don't know who would admit that, but it would. No, I mean I don't think. I don't think niggas will ever say it out loud, but you know it's going to be different. Like to this day, I think niggas are still weirded out by Frank Ocean, even though he's the most mysterious man in the universe. Uh, 
I appreciate actually how he does his artistry. He just drops music when he wants. So I think that's what Rihanna wants to do. I think that makes more sense. Like I'll just drop this when I want and then, you know, won't say anything. Um, and that's it. Like, but I still think ever since he's been out, people have, you know, accepted it, I guess, for what it is. But I still think he's treated differently in that space. Um, you know, I credit people like Tyler, the creator, who I have my own opinions about, even though I love the music um, and how that group of friends from our future in California still like interact with each other. Like, they're, like you're supposed to, like people are regular people. Like, mm. <laughs> like it's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about what you got coming up. So I saw the news, uh, because, you know, we were celebrating you this whole entire month there reading while black, um, and you're getting the TV show. So, uh, I, I saw it. I, I just wanted you to go into depth about it. Um, it was, I could tell that you were really, it seemed like well-deserved obviously. Um, but you know. I don't I, 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 I don't speak ahead. Um I will quote Deadline. Deadline reports the twentieth century Fox with executive <laughs> producers Gerard Carmichael, Lee Daniels and Mark Velez will be working with me on the adaptation of I Can't Day Jesus. I am very excited about it. Um <laughs> but we don't claim nothing that ain't out there, so you know. We're, we're glad that the word is out. It's very nice that people have been very kind and receptive. But, you know, um, we are living in a pandemic. Um, the economy is imploding. Donald Trump mm. is president. I need to stay alive first, but I am working towards a lovely goal about making a TV show. That's about, <laughs> that's about that on that one. Uh. <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's just wonderful news. Um, you know, no, I mean, you know, I'm excited, but you know what? People talk a lot. They, they, they jump ahead. It's too many details. Ooh, yeah. no, none, of those, none of those things. I'm excited about exactly what was reported and looking very much forward to um, getting a chance to create a show. But other than that, you know, can't call it day to day. Got to make sure nobody cough around me. <laughs> <laughs> can't make sure you don't cough around anybody in public uh speaking about in public just to get away from the book how are you doing man i don't think i even asked you and i apologize but how are you doing like how's you know how's new york it's much different from alabama my governor's a dumbass uh <laughs> just full stop but how are you man how's everything how are you adjusting i'm as good as one can be in a nightmare i have my sleep pattern problems like anybody else um, launching a book during a pandemic is not advisable, but it's also um, actually no. I mean, it's not like a distraction because I mean, you're still it's still a pandemic. Oh, uh, look, um, I'm doing the best I can. I'm I'm glad that I'm in the position. I'm in a better position today than I was a year ago. If this was happening during last year, might have been a different story. But I'm actually quite. I'm as good as, again, I'm as good as can be in a nightmare. Um, New York is um, an odd place right now. Um, again, I'm really surprised you don't hear a bunch of sirens um, as usual, but Speaking yeah. of sirens, there goes the there, Well, there we go. Um, that's, well, that's that's me. That's in Montgomery. I don't know. Well, no, 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 I'm saying, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm good as a Z. It's just, it's, uh, I'm, I appreciate anybody that's still giving me space to talk about the book because, I mean, it's, it's hard because particularly like my, you know, my, my demo is, you know, Black people are really suffering right now. So it's weird to ask people to be able to buy a book, even though it's my livelihood and I believe in it. It's um, difficult to know, like a lot of people that you know 
or don't even if they don't know are going to be dealing with a lot of stuff that you wrote about. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just a weird mix of feelings, but personally, I am as good as we can be um, in this. And I'm working a lot. Uh, I'm tired because, um, again, I, I still got to get the word out because, you know, it's, it's it's hard to promote a book in a pandemic. I'll just keep saying that. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no. Like, I've never seen anybody do this. And not just credit to you, but just your team and what they're doing and like how they're, you know, interacting socially. I watch all of that stuff. I've worked in digital organizing. So like seeing the impressions and seeing the people talk about the book, the responses that we've gotten on Facebook, which I didn't get to show you. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see them, but just the responses from the book, the people who are excited to read this. Um, I can't tell Thank you. you. Yeah. I'm a very active marketer by no choice. <laughs> by, yeah. default. <laughs> by default. Um, but Michael, uh, one of the last parts that stuck out to me was, of course, the last chapter, which is titled after the book. Um, and, you know, you didn't want, you said you didn't want to venture towards uh, Black Elder of a Tyler Perry production. Um, but you did leave people with words of wisdom uh, just in this moment, um, you know, not just with reading the book, but it's kind of resonant of where we are now um, while everybody's at home alone for some people, especially. Um, but uh, you talked about uh, learning to forgive yourself. Um, right. And just wanted you to expound on that a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I guess in, a, in, like, in the context of the book, but it can be applied to anything. But specifically, you know, um, people worship money and wealth in this country without actually creating a fair shot to attain any of that. And by extension, instead of actually interrogating any of that, they create this culture where you in turn kind of just blame yourself. And then people believe that because they too want to be a certain thing. So we all internalize this. And then you feeling like if everything is so, even when you're not a superficial person, even when you're not a materialistic person, money defines so much of your life. It defines so much of your status. It controls so much of your fate. When you don't have enough about it, particularly when you go out of your way to go to college, to be better by your family, when you do all these things in earnest, um, and every, you, you do everything that you were told to do um, that was right, and then there's nothing there for you. You can feel really bad about yourself. You can learn, you can just internalize it and potentially harm yourself. It's not physically, at least emotionally, spiritually, whatever, and then eventually will bother you physically because stress adds up. So um, it's my long-winded way of saying, you know, no matter what it is, sometimes you need to learn to forgive yourself for things you don't need to be even forgiven for. In my case, I, I didn't do anything really wrong. Um, I, made, I did the best I could in the moment with the information I had. And then sometimes just the information you have isn't the best, and then there's consequences. But I shouldn't have spent so much time faulting myself for doing something in earnest. I should have just accepted it and figured out other avenues of how to deal with it. It would have made the journey to overcome it a lot easier. So my advice to anybody is like, whatever it is to you, just learn to forgive yourself. Sometimes it is actually your fault, but even that's okay. Like everybody is allowed to make a mistake. It's why well, it's one thing to just have a moment to feel sad, to feel sorry for yourself. But I think it's another to just like settle in it. And a lot of times we all just settle in our shit for much longer than we should. And Right now is a time of reflection. It's also a time of just to be, you know, afraid. And it's fine to be afraid. Shit, I'm afraid. I don't want to die either. But 
if there's any lessons that also come from the book, it's that that you know you can deal with struggle. I don't pretend that struggle is pretty. I don't think there's no beauty in struggle. Struggle is awful. However, you can get through it. And the book ends with hope, if nothing else. And mm-hmm. so, you know, shit gonna be hard for a while for a lot of us, some more than others. I'm gonna pretend it, but we can all just be easier to ourselves and that'll make this whole nightmare a little more bearable. All right, so now I'm Tyler Perry and uh, I'm uh, Cicely Tyson in one of the movies. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Arsenault, it has been a pleasure, man. Like, Appreciate wow. you having me. Thank uh, you. No, not a problem. I really enjoyed it. Do you want to come back? Same. Yeah, let's figure it out. I've been talking a lot. Let's see how we can do. I, um, I'm talking a lot about I don't want to die poor, but I, I got to talk about I can't date Jesus again soon. So I, I would definitely come back. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Um, just tell people where they can find you, um, you know, and... Uh, I- Arsenal, uh, well, it's in the title, uh, A-R-C-E-N-E-A-U-X uh, on social. It's Young, the regular way, and then Cynic, but spelled differently. Young, S-I-N-I-C-K. You should never come up with a, a, a social media handle based on a blog post from 10 years ago, but whatever, it sticks. Um, so, That's yeah, thanks again for having me. <laughs> no problem, man. <laughs> um, you keep it easy, be safe, and um, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you again for having me. Now I can smoke and pass out. Thank you. <laughs> I will attempt to try to do the same. Uh, have, you know, yeah. Have, have a great, have a great weekend as great as you can, man. Guys, no, thank we'll, you for having me. Oh, no problem. Um, all right, guys, we'll be right back with a little bit more reading while black, and we're just gonna pay some bills real quick, and then we'll close out the show. Thanks. That concludes our interview with Mr. Michael Arsenault. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I hope that you guys have picked up I Don't Want to Die Poor. If you haven't, you can get it wherever books are sold. Um, If you haven't uh, started supporting your local bookstore, make sure that you do so. If you don't have a local bookstore in your area that you can purchase the book from, I would highly suggest that you support my favorite bookstore, that is one that carries all the books uh, selected by Reading Wild Black, and that's 1977 Books. 1977 Books is a liberation bookstore located right here in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, in light of COVID-19 and the pandemic, they have now moved completely to a digital space where you can purchase all of the books that are carried by Reading Wild Black, as well as books that have been specifically curated around authors of color. It is a beautiful, beautiful website. It's a beautiful, beautiful bookstore. If you have kids and you're looking for books for children of color especially, they have an amazing selection of books and just so many great things that Steph and Allison are doing and I love them so much. So just continue to support them and you know give their website a holler, please. So now it is time to announce the May Book of the Month. I wanted to select something that was special to me. I actually selected this book months ago uh, for this month particularly because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, This is a book that I'm really, really excited to dig into, one that centers uh, trauma, especially um, as it pertains to African-Americans and how it affects us over generations. So without further ado, the May book of the month is My Grandmother's Hands racialized trauma 
and Mending Our Bodies and Hearts by Resma Minicum. The body is where our instincts reside and where we fight, flee, or freeze, and it endures the trauma inflicted by the ills that plague society. In this groundbreaking work, therapist Resma Minicum examines the damage caused by racism in America from the perspective of the body-centered psychology. He argues that destruction will continue until Americans learn to heal the generational anguish of white supremacy, which is deeply embedded in all of our bodies. Our collective agony doesn't just affect African Americans. White Americans suffer their own secondary trauma as well. So do blue Americans, our police. My Grandmother's Hands is a call to action for all of us to recognize that racism is not about the head, but about the body introduces an alternative view of what we can do to grow beyond our entrenched racialized divide. Guys, I am so excited to crack this open. I've already started actually, uh, typically, uh, because I'm always reading ahead. But I want you guys to pick this up. I have already made sure um, that we will have enough time to finish this book. Um, trust me, guys, I always encourage people, get the Audible, get the Audible, get the Audible. Um, if you wonder how I actually get through so many books so quickly, I'm actually buy a physical copy or a digital copy. Um, it just depends on like my mood as far as like how I want to highlight and take notes. Sometimes I find it easier in using digital books because I can highlight on my iPad. I can also attach notes to those highlights, find them quickly in bookmarks uh, centered around certain words that I'm looking for when I'm looking for questions to ask authors. Um, or, you know, I like paperback. But the one thing I do like to do is I like to play the book in the background so I know how many hours that it takes to complete the book and I also know that I'll be done by this amount of time. So if you're like a time management perfectionist junkie like my Virgo self, um, I would highly suggest getting the Audible if you can, um, wherever that you get your audiobooks at. But really, really excited about this book, guys. Um, tell me what you think. Um, if you're excited, make sure that you tweet us. Make sure that you hit us up on Instagram. Make sure that you hit us up on Facebook. I'm going to also be trying some different things, looking at maybe doing some Zoom meetings if you guys are interested in that. Um, I'll tweet a feeler out and see if you guys are looking and maybe want to do something uh, like that to where we can all sit in virtually and be able to sit down and chat about the book. Um, and we can go from there. Uh, now that Anchor actually allows us to convert video chats directly into audio and upload them um, up to the podcast. Shout out to Anchor being the best podcasting platform out. Um, and so now we're able to actually, you know, take those uh, Zoom calls and it makes it even easier for me to get content out for you guys. And that's the most important thing. Um, I want to make this, like I said, I've always been trying to make this more than just a once a month podcast. I want to make this a podcast that we can do at least bi-weekly. Um, I know that weekly podcasts are going to be kind of hard because we're reading a book and I don't want to put a restraint on how much you can read a week. But I do want to make it in a way that we're really consistent. Um, I like the pace at where we're going. Um, let's keep it. Let's keep up at it. Uh, but I want to make sure that we're kicking up the pace and that um, we're doing bigger and better things every month. So uh, make sure that you follow us on all platforms at Reading Wild BLK. And I will see you guys 
at the end of May uh, discussing my grandmother's hands. I can't wait, guys. I really can't wait. I'm so excited. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Reading Why Black, and I will talk to you soon.